This is not complicated, just green. And it's time for an installment of Common Sense for Better Construction. We're bridging the information gap to help you reach a brighter future in the built world. Today's episode is sponsored by Creative Interface Architecture and Interiors, making sustainable construction practically impactful. Check us out at www.creativeinterface.design. Welcome, friends. I'm James, your host, and today I'm speaking with Sarah King with Kilroy Realty, a real estate investment trust, or REIT. Kilroy partners with world-class architects, designers, and artists who share their passion for inspiring tenants and communities to create and manage over 15 million square feet in a portfolio of commercial office space, multifamily properties, and life science facilities. They are committed to providing sustainable communities that protect and maintain the health and well-being of residents and visitors. Please enjoy. So I read that you are the first REIT to achieve carbon neutral operations in carbon neutrality. Kilroy has a long-standing commitment to sustainability, and for the last two years, we've achieved carbon neutral operations through energy efficiency, on-site renewables, off-site renewables, renewable energy credit. We made a press release yesterday about just sitting six megawatts of solar installed at all of our sites, at 13 of our buildings. On-site solar doesn't make sense at every building, the parking garage, the ideally even like to have the top level shaded, yeah. you know, a solar canopy can really be, and I'm proud of how Kilroy has proactively sought out these opportunities to install solar and we install it so it's behind the needer. So the energy that's generated, it's used on site and reducing the overall electricity load that the building's demanding. Uh-huh. It ends up being a very good financial platform and benefit to our tenants and people like to see solar and so yeah. But the more we can see that, I think that there's some kind of misconceptions that you need to be like in California or Florida for it to really make sense. But I think even in a lot of other markets, even if you have some many cloudy days in the year, uh-huh. uh, solar is really a great tool in our toolbox. I was recently in Chicago and got to go up the viewing level of the formerly Sears Tower, now Willis Tower. And of course, you look down and you see lots of really cool rooftop amenities top gardens and rooftop restaurants, but then I was struck by those vast number of empty rooftops that there's such an opportunity to make such a huge impact. It wouldn't create any change in the appearance of that building. It wouldn't require any change in the function of the way that that building operates or is used. Warehouses, shopping centers, they're perfectly suited. They take up such a huge amount of real estate. The number of rooftop amenities outnumbered the rooftops yeah, and I think, you know, in those dense downtown all building environments, you know, the the level of effort to put some silver on top, it's going to displace a very small net. There is some really cool work going on to integrate solar in the building facades. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. It's a future thing that I hope that we'll explore where, you know, the raising on the exterior of the building that also have solar built into it. So that's an exciting thing. And it's exciting to, it's like flying to different cities. Look out the window and yeah, it does feel like there's a ton of additional and unturned stones. What's better? It's lots of opportunities to do that. For sure. Yeah. And then thinking and getting excited about what's next for the next 10 years, which I see as a really critical decade. It's for sustainability, real estate, so from that energy use, 
that we use to heat and cool and cover those buildings. And then kind of a more inverted topic, it's the embodied carbon of energy associated with mixture of we use to construct new buildings. Right. Buildings are such a challenging sector because there's so many of them. They're wow. owned by different people. They're occupied by different people. Yeah, buildings, every single one of them is different and unique. It's not like cars and where you've got thousands of the same thing. So it's a, it's a really is an opportunity for you to explore so many possibilities and attack this issue from so many different directions. Let me ask how Kilroy came to decide that this was their mission. What drove Kilroy to make this bold decision that they really wanted to focus a realty group on sustainable property? Yeah. So again, this has been a jury that Tilbury's been long before I, I joined the company. But I think it really originated from this understanding that the built environment has a significant impact on the environment. I think it's about 40% of global carbon emissions can be associated with buildings or yeah. just through our operational use of the embodied carbon. John Tilbury, who's our, our CEO and, and chair of the board, Give grim credit to him. I think he really understood how to be a leader in the industry. It's really important to demonstrate how you can have a positive impact and think about the kind of negative externalities of your business and figure out how you can correct for those to actually communicate that and inspire readership within the sector and and use that as a point of differentiation. I certainly feel it in the, in the sense of how well it's built into now kind of the senior management way of thinking and, and definitely into our, our corporate strategy. Is that the only thing that really sets Kilroy apart from other realty groups or are there some other things about Kilroy? Yeah, I think Kilroy has a really Limited design. So, you know, we have a combination of assets that we developed that we were the, the developer for and were very involved with the design and then other assets that we purchased and then have done some significant repositioning. And so I think that sort of this feeling that you want to have when you're in a Colorado building, the, the great light, the locations, the all of the things that make us enjoy spending time in, in buildings. I think it's an art is another interesting thing that I love about Calvary. It's the, the idea that art can be integrated into the environment indoors and outdoors and be kind of a, a point of inspiration. Yeah, you're speaking my language. Another thing that I think is coming up, especially as we think about new, new developments, is how can we be delivering all electric buildings? You know, because ideally we're creating these buildings that will be there for 60 or 100 or even more years. Yeah. So the systems that you put in place on day one are probably going to be used for quite some time. And right. so I think it's you're hooking up to natural gas, you're probably going to be using natural gas for quite some time right. to yeah. either keep your space or keep water. Yeah. And so I think that there's a lot of interesting conversations happening about the building electrification. I think we're seeing lots of relatively cost neutral ways to approach that, which is great. Yeah, and then as the grid, yeah, you know, all of this is kind of like one giant system. Which if you're if you've been all electric building and you're plugged into a grid that is also trying to decarbonize, you're really heading in the right direction towards this idea of a carbon or net zero asset. As your grid turns to more renewable sources and retires some of these fossil fuel generating off ramps, and your building's all electric, you're running on um, hopefully you know wind and solar and other does this message always land uh, with a receptive audience or, or are there some people who really don't understand what it is you do or why you're doing it? I mean, I don't think it's that black and white. I think a lot of times people think sustainability in the built environment just equals lead. And lead is a, absolutely a foundational aspect of sustainability. And I think USGBC has done a really good job 
of over the last several decades, making a framework by which we can measure and kind of have a plaque up the wall that certifies oh, yeah. certain like a third party assessment that said we're not declaring our own building green, somebody else is saying it's green. Yeah. Right now, I think the challenge is for a lot of times teams may think we just do leave because it's the right thing to do and that it, it doesn't necessarily add value to the asset. But I think we're in this interesting time right now where there really is a flight to high quality and high quality involves number of things that I think increasingly sustainability and health and wellness are part of what makes a high quality asset differentiated and kind of a demonstration of that quality. And in fact, there are things that you can measure, like the indoor air quality, the energy efficiency or energy use intensity and things like that. And I think increasingly we're seeing tenants who want to lease space in our buildings or who are existing tenants be really interested in the environmental of the, the asset that they are attendant in or might become attendant in. And so I think that we're in this interesting inflection point where for a long time we've been doing the right thing because it was the right thing to do. And okay. I think we're increasingly seeing that it's the right thing to do and it matters to our fans and it can help our business and it can help differentiate our assets and, and hopefully lead to us having some wins of landing some new tenants who have a common level of ambition in terms of sustainability targets and and see this as kind of an alignment of their values and also an asset that can help them as they're keeping track of their own carbon emissions and the and energy associated with their lease assets it can, that our leasing space in our buildings can help them achieve their goals. I know that there's some other benefits to this that come in the form of your tenant's productivity, their ability to retain employees, the culture within their firm or within their team of collaboration and of teamwork. Is that something that was a very conscious thing that Kilroy knew going into it? Or was this something that has has come about after Kilroy was already trying, as you said, just to do the right thing? You know, first, I think there's an excellent report by Stoke. But that really dug into the research around that sort of productivity retention piece around hypothesized buildings. I, I think they did a very good job putting some data and numbers to this. Okay. Is that S T O K? Yeah. You know, so it's sort of way arriving at sort of health and wellness as part of what we would seek of as a sustainable asset. We've for a long time been working with Spitwell, so we could have building health certification. Lead certainly has some credits and some aspects of it that deal with the kingdom health side, but right. I mean, Spitwell's on need for there to be a building certification that may be inspired by a lead, but was really focused on research and health and wellness and that, right. the occupant experience. For Kilroy, we were doing this well before the pandemic, and I think just in the last few years, we've now gotten a fresh course on how much yeah. um, the, in the building that we're in impacts our health and how viruses are transmitted. And now it really is, I think, well understood that that how you operate a building, how it's designed, how you're ventilating, how you're filtering the air has this tangible impact. And that we can start measuring some of those things in the connection to productivity. And if, you're, if you feel good in a space, and if it isn't making you sleepy, you're probably going to perform better. And so there's been a lot of really great research on that. So I think that's it's just kind of another thing that I don't think five or seven years ago was saying that describing the design features that we put into a building and the connection to human health while understood by a lot of people. Not so much, but I think we've just gone through this massive 
experience, a collective experience that we all went through together. And I think yeah. now we have a much better understanding. And people are most fluent too, and like air exchanges per hour, and it's, you know, what how an operable window makes a makes a building different. So I think that it, we're at an interesting time for that. We all had an inherent understanding of this to have natural light while we're trying to work, have the opportunity to get go outside and take your work there, have a, some activity that you can do in order to break things up throughout your day. We all knew that that was a better way to work in a building that we would all want to be in, but we didn't necessarily recognize that this was also part of the way that we make an impact for the planet and the way that we make an impact for the profit of a building other than the buildings themselves. What are some of the other things that in order to accomplish Kilroy's mission, that you're going to have to overcome? What are some of the obstacles that stand in the way? Well, I think also, you know, starting on the health and wellness side, I think you can um, put a lot of good features in a building can bring great daylight, great fresh air in. And then I think the other piece of that is um, like active design. And so creating buildings that inspire people to move throughout the day so that we're not just getting to our offsets and, you know, kind of sitting in our desk um, all day long doing work that you've, you've created some sort of like thoughtful staircases, you create opportunities for people to get outside, to go for walks, um, to have active workstations, to do all those other sort of things. And, and I think those are things that as a building design, you're developing from the ground up, you, you are thinking a lot about the people who will be there, you don't know exactly who they are, but you can kind of create some things that will, you will blow, inspire them to to incorporate one movement to their day. Um, so I think that that's one thing. And then, you know, I think on the on the environmental side, on the energy and carbon and water and waste, we as a, as a building owner and operator and a grand developer, we have a lot of these energy operation dates. We can do a lot at the base building level to improve the performance, but the more energy efficient you're making your buildings, kind of systems that you're heating and cooling with. If you now look at the pie chart of where the building energy use is going, more and more of it happens in the, in the tenant spaces. Over time, it will be a lot more engaged with those tenants to help them both understand their energy use and their water use and their waste use to help, help give them some tools in terms of how they might think about reducing it. Kilroy stands apart in the industry and there are a few other realty groups that similarly focus, but it's not the entire industry. Do you find that the people that you need to get your message across to the most are building owners, developers and contractors and architects, the building tenants that would be the ones that you really want to get your point across to? Who is the group that you really really wish would would jump on board for this and that would make the biggest difference? Um, that's a great question. My knee-jerk reaction is all of you. But I think if I had to pick one, I, I do think an owner who leases a lot of space to tenants, I think that the tenant demand, I think is one of the most important things that we can see. And so to anybody who might listen to this podcast, I think like whether you work for a company or you own your own company, you or you are you leasing an apartment and building, like you have a, a voice and can ask about the sustainability performance of the building and, and use that as part of your decision making in terms of having to select space. From my perspective, if a tenant, if we start to hear, and I think this is already happening to a certain extent, if we start to hear that real customer demand and that pull and that desire to say, this is a real factor in how we select space that we're yeah. going to lease for 
10 and 15 years, then the teams that I work with internally on the development construction side, they will hear that and understand that. And it gives them sort of more impetus and more reason to incorporate higher sustainability performance into our ambitions. And then it gives our leasing teams more things to talk about when they are out trying to explain how this building is different from the one down the block. Yeah. And then I think the other pieces like our investors, you know, as a publicly traded company, investors are really focused on sustainability performance and how we're accelerating change in the industry. And I think as we're in a leadership position, I think it's an, an exciting place to be able to, you know, inspire others within the industry to act. So I think investors are really paying attention. And I think the last stakeholder that is also really important to those cities. And so I think cities are really thinking about how to create standards that will improve performance of all buildings, not just those buildings that are owned by companies that have their own voluntary sustainability goals and they're trying to improve performance. Uh-huh. And so I think that there's just a lot of interesting dialogue happening, but I think so much of it starts with that, that important voice of the tenant that's making a decision about which building to space in. So the end user mm-hmm. is still going to have the biggest influence on what this industry really is going to create for them. Yep. And I think all of us, you know, from the design community to the material suppliers to the owners, I think we need to get better at communicating. I think we're doing a lot of great stuff and meeting not packaging it up or giving the people who are out trying to deliver the message to the end users. Sustainability can get complicated uh, in terms of jargon and acronyms and different yeah. metrics that you're tracking. The, the more we can equip the people who are engaging with those direct end users and the better that we can all communicate why high-risk sustainable, high-performance buildings are better and to be to differentiate in the marketplace, we, we owe that to ourselves. Then to just do that hard work, but then also to communicate about it. Yeah, share your message, speak your truth. Yeah. Within the real estate industry, I know that there are plenty of examples like yourself and Kilroy who have been doing this for a while. The overall industry is still a little bit behind you. Is it your hope that everybody gets on board from a real estate industry perspective, that they all start to recognize that there's this whole other evaluation system or opportunity to analyze a building more thoroughly or in a different way that's going to make a bigger impact than necessarily just location and square footage and curb appeal? That's the goal. And I think we need to get there faster than maybe voluntary action alone will take us. And so I think we're seeing, you know, I think the benchmarking standards that are coming out in a lot of cities where you can go look at a map of your city and click on individual assets and see that prior years energy performance. And I think that sort of that level of transparency that we're starting to see in the nature driving, I think is really important and going to be helpful. So if other real estate companies say they all get on board, yeah. right? Yeah. And everybody's down. What does Kilroy do to stand out there? So I think it's good for the leadership bar to continually be raised. And so I think that that's an important part of no matter what sector you're in. I want it to be hard to stay at the top of the leadership list because it's good if, if we're inspiring competition and other people are, are following our success. Securities and Exchange Commission or SEC has issued a proposal that would have all publicly traded companies would have us all report a significant amount more in terms of disclosure and data about our carbon footprint, our emissions, both our direct emissions and our indirect emissions. Seeing this, the SEC way in on it, I think that made a lot of companies, certainly in the real estate sector, but every industry, think really hard about the importance of having the data that is verifiable. You would be able to publish in your 10K and feel better. 
And so we might need to raise the floor for everybody. You know, I know some people will be kind of pushing up against the ceiling. That's it's we know there's gonna be a spread. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be some kind of combination of ambitious voluntary goals and then also some combination of some policy and hopefully it's well informed and that as leaders in the industry, we can help kind of work with policymakers to help come up with some of those ideas in terms of how you sort of raise the bar on unemployment across the board. Yeah, absolutely. So let's imagine the future when everybody finally listens and gets on board. This message and this mission gets contagious enough that it's not what makes you exceptional, it makes you acceptable. What are some of the things that, that'll tell you we're on the way, we're headed in the right track? And then also, what are some of the things that you think will be happening when this is the norm? It's an exciting question, right? Right? It's, it's fun to think about that world. How can buildings eventually be really part of the solution? So right now we're part of the problem and we're trying to be less of the problem. And, but I think in terms of the, the climate crisis the, and the need to decarbonize the built environment, how can buildings be batteries that help the grid transition to 100% renewable energy? How can, through the building materials that we're using, how can we kind of have buildings be carbon sink? and have these four carbon charts or a long-term process. So I think that continuing the journey that we're already on and just really deepening that focus on it's one thing to make your building a little bit more energy efficient by some renewable energy, but it's another thing to achieve. I hear both carbon negative and carbon positive be used kind of for the same term, but I was typing your building be taking more carbon out of the atmosphere than it's what it costs. So I think that ideally is, is where we're headed. You know, I think that as it becomes the norm and as sustainability becomes built in, I, I, I think we're going to be seeing some interesting ways of how's the building kind of giving something to the community, how is it a place for the community to spend time, even if they're not leasing space there? How does it help with the resilience aspects and things like that? And I think that the social impact of, of what we're doing too, I think is another frontier that I think we're starting to kind of think about and grapple with, but, but I think there's even more, more there yet to do. I think that, that if you keep kind of raising the bar on performance and if that keeps becoming the norm, then I think we're we're in a really good shape if we keep that special happening. Absolutely. The more that we can make buildings that are going to be resilient so they can have a longer lifespan, the longevity of the structure itself and the adaptability so that it can be continuously used, even if not for its original purpose, that can have an impact on both the environment and on the the stability of a community, but also on the return that you get for your investment for having built the building to a higher standard in the first place. There's financial benefits, planet saving benefits, people helping benefits. It is a very exciting thing to envision where we, where we would be if, if everybody would just get on board. Yeah. As you were saying earlier, more and more people are aware of this now and they're curious about these things, but I, I'd hate to think that it was just this, the pandemic or some current event that was driving this and it may fade over time. I'd like to think that this is something that's just building momentum that's going to continue. I think that, I think it is. I think just the, I can't look at like a sustainability news site without seeing some new commitments, some new goals that are being set. I think all work that's been done around the science-based targets. I think it's really great. Stakeholders are really holding companies accountable for the goals in 72, which is great. Well, let's say that we've got some folks. They're not buying or leasing. They're not building or selling. Where can they support what you're doing? Well, I think 
we all live in some sort of structure. So I think that it, a lot of sustainability, I think, are kind of starting at home. And so I think that anybody who's inspired by what a, a large company, a small company, anybody's doing can look for ways to make some changes at home. Whether you own or rent, there's always some interesting ways to improve the energy efficiency, to be thoughtful about appliances, how you're using energy, pay attention to those utility bills, you know, replacing some windows, electrification of cooking. And then I think there's other ways, whether it's through your your job or through some place where you're volunteer to be asking questions about sustainability performance and build into each end on end. So I think that, that the more people are asking about that, the more the building owners and operators understand that this is something that matters. So let's give some guidelines of that conversation. Somebody's listening to this and they say, I'm one of those end users. I want to ask the question, what exactly do I ask for? I know that some buildings, when they were constructed, just did not record all of the steps and processes, the embodied carbon. And a lot of buildings don't provide, haven't come around to start sharing that kind of information and publishing that sort of stuff yet. What are the things that end users and the consumers need to be asking uh, that they don't have to be an expert in sustainability or in real estate or anything? Anything along those lines in order for them to ask an educated question and understand what they can expect as a good answer and what to watch out for as red flags. That's a great question. I would start with asking if the building has a LEED certification or an energy start score. You know, if it has a LEED certification that gold or black, you know, that's awesome. If it has a silver or certified, that's also great. If it's an older LEED certification and it's expired, then you can get curious about is that building owner planning to recertify that building? That's one place to start. I think energy start scores might even be more common. I think a person can ask what the building's energy start score is. If it's like 75 and above, I think somebody could feel pretty good about that. Below that, or if they don't even know what their energy start score is, ask them if they might consider looking into you know, doing some benchmarking or things like that. Increasingly, as we're seeing, especially in some of the larger urban markets, that cities are working to energy stars. One of those metrics that's uniform and it's already kind of established different ways to account for building use and building size and that type of thing. So, you know, have you measured, have you done any indoor air quality testing? Do you know what the trucks per million of CO2 are in, you know, whether it's your living space or some common areas or an office? I think there's some some interesting if you if you ask those questions, I know that building engineers and the people who are offering those buildings are gonna be thinking about the ventilation. Thank you for joining us, friends, for another serving of common sense. This was not complicated, just green. Sponsored by Creative Interface Architecture and Interiors, redefining the impact of great design, one client at a time. Check us out at www.creativeinterface.design.